Good morning, everybody. My name is Adam, if you don't know me. It's uh, really great to have you with us this morning. Before we uh, dive into God's Word and open that up together, I've got a very exciting announcement to make. Uh, You may have noticed on the way into church this morning that a little bit of construction has been happening in that uh, forecourt area over there, that uh, beautiful uh, little garden area. Very excited to announce that in the near future uh, we will be opening a coffee shop uh, that will be running in that, that beautiful area that will operate during the week and also before and after our services on a Sunday. Church Council and uh, leadership believe that this uh, will not only be a blessing to us as a church community, it will not only uh, serve us and enhance our life together, provide a space for ministry, but also, more importantly, it will enable us to more effectively reach out into our local community. It will provide a, a way and a space for those who are perhaps far from God, would never step onto a church campus, that they might draw near to the church and also, as is our hope and prayer, draw near to Jesus. And so we're really excited about this and uh, all the details will be coming in the next few weeks, name and time frame and um, more importantly, what coffee beans we'll be using. You know, that's, that's just central, important information. It's all coming. But in the meantime, in the meantime, let me just ask you and invite you to pray. Pray for us as a church. Pray uh, that this coffee shop might be used by God for really powerful ministry to happen on our campus, that he might draw people who are far from him and that we, above all, might see more people come to know Jesus, come to follow Jesus with us and move from death to life. That's our goal, that's our prayer, that's our hope, that's why we do everything that we do. And so please pray uh, for this exciting new venture. With that being said, uh, let me pray for us and then we'll uh, dive into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are at work among us, that you are transferring us and so many from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. And Lord, we long for for you to to work powerfully in our midst, to see more and more people come to know Jesus, move from death to life, move from not knowing you to knowing you, your glory, your power, your love, Lord. And so we just ask that you might use all that we do to that end. And Lord, as we open up your word now, we just pray that you'd give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand, all that you would say to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1974, a Japanese soldier by the name of Hiro Onoda emerged from the jungle in the Philippines, still dressed in his military uniform. Hiro had been a soldier in the Japanese army during World War II. But only now, in 1974, 29 years after World War II officially ended, was he laying down his arms. Now, why did it take Hiro so long to surrender? The answer was, he did not believe that the war had ended. He believed in the Philippines jungle that the war was still raging. See, Inoda was a lieutenant and an intelligence officer in the Japanese army and when he was initially sent to the Philippines during World War II, he was given orders to never surrender. And in 2010, he said, every Japanese soldier was prepared for death. But as an intelligence officer, I was ordered to conduct guerrilla warfare and not to die. 
I became an officer and I received an order. If I could not carry it out, I would feel shame. I am very competitive. You don't say, Mr. Anoda. <laughs> he ignored several attempts to get him to surrender. There were leaflets dropped. There were um, you know, search parties sent out to him, but he ignored the leaflets. He repelled the search parties. It wasn't until they sent his former commanding officer, now an elderly man, to go and talk to him that Mr. Anoda finally laid down his arms almost 30 years later. See, the truth of the matter was that the war was over. The reality was, Hero did not believe it. And the result was that he wasted 30 years of his life living in the jungle and fighting a war that had already ended. And you see, we might be tempted to laugh at Hero or maybe to shake our heads at him, but the truth is we often do this very same thing spiritually. The Bible teaches us and tells us some glorious truths. But so often, the reality is at times we don't believe them, we don't understand them, and the result is that we don't live in light of them. We don't allow these truths that the Bible teaches us to change our lives. And for the next four weeks, we'll be looking at one of the most unknown and underappreciated truths of the Bible. We'll be talking about union with Christ, the most important truth you've never heard. Now, that's a big claim, I know, but I believe it to be true. That one author uh, writes in his book, he says, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that you will never hear something more amazing in your entire life. Union with Christ touches on the highest and most profound truths of the gospel and at the same time reaches down into the depths of the human heart to fill us with more joy and hope, more comfort and strength than anything else ever could. Union with Christ is a theological truth that the Bible teaches, that if we truly come to believe it and cherish it, it can radically deepen our faith and it can radically transform our lives. Two books that we're bouncing out of in this series and that are very helpful is, number one, Union with Christ, The Way to Know and Enjoy God, by a Rankin Wilborn, a pastor in LA, and then One Forever, The Transforming Power of Being in Christ by Rory Shiner, who's a pastor over in WA in Perth. So I'd encourage you to, to uh, perhaps grab a hold of those and read them. Very helpful, very useful, and we'll be uh, bouncing out of them in the next few weeks. Now the reason that we've used the subtitle, The Most Important Truth You've Never Heard, is because most Christians have either never heard of or don't understand the truth of what it means that we have been united to Christ. The truth of what the Apostle Paul means when he says repeatedly that we are in Christ. In fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but as you read through the Bible, and particularly the letters of the Apostle Paul, he wrote letters like Romans and Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, these wonderful letters in the New Testament. He repeatedly, again and again, uses this little two-word phrase, in Christ, to describe our relationship to Jesus. Let me give you an example. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, when the Apostle Paul addresses this letter, he says, to the, all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now, for Paul to be in Christ, it's not just a nice greeting, but it actually changes everything about you. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
in Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase in Christ 11 times in one long sentence to describe all of the spiritual blessings that we receive when we are united to Christ by faith. So what he says there in verse 3, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In fact, this is really interesting, but the Apostle Paul in his letters never once uses the word Christian to describe who we are. And yet 160 times he uses this little phrase, in Christ, to describe our relationship to Jesus. Union with Christ is one of the most profoundly important truths that we see in the Bible. And in fact, it really answers a number of fundamental questions that we have about our lives. Questions like, who am I? What is my identity? Questions like, where am I going? Where am I headed? Is my life going anywhere? Questions like, what am I here for? Does my life have any purpose? Can I have any hope for the future? These are really core, key, fundamental questions that every single one of us has. And union with Christ answers these questions powerfully. And in fact, that's what we'll be looking at in the the month or so to come. We'll be looking at these really important questions about human existence and human life. But this morning, I'd simply like to answer the question for us, well, what is union with Christ? What does it actually mean and why does it matter for you and for me? As we go from this place, what difference does it make in my life that I am united to Christ, that I am in Christ? That's what would be looking at this morning, and we see the truth of union with Christ encapsulated most succinctly, most powerfully in Galatians chapter 2. In just one verse, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes uh, to the church in Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now there are two elements in this verse that really capture the reality of our union with Christ. In fact, based upon this verse, we can begin to formulate a definition of what union with Christ means. And here it is. Union with Christ means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And we see it in these verses. You are in Christ. You see it in the second half of verse 20. He says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is in you. We see that in the first half of the verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Union with Christ means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Now let's just take these two key phrases in this definition, you are in Christ and Christ is in you, and let's just drill down on them a little bit and see what they mean for you and for me. Firstly, you are in Christ. Now when you become a Christian, you don't just decide to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to imitate Jesus. You actually become united to Jesus in a relationship of closeness and intimacy. And in fact, this is why the Bible, when it turns to describe our relationship to Jesus, it uses images like the vine and a branch, John chapter 15. Like a man and a wife in marriage, Ephesians 5. 
like a head and a body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are images of closeness and intimacy and union. And what these images tell us is that what is true of Jesus is true of you and me. We have been so united to Jesus that what is true of him is true of you and me. Think about it. If the vine is killed, it it, it dies, then what happens to the branches? They too die. If you insult the wife, you insult the husband. If you chop the head off the body, the body dies. Conversely, if the vine is healthy and flourishing, the branches are healthy and flourishing. If the husband is leading and loving his wife well, the wife is flourishing. If the head is clear, the body is healthy and thriving. We have been so united to Jesus that his life, his power flows through us and that what is true of him is also true of us. Let me explain it this way and this pains me deeply to talk about this. When Jonathan Thurston kicked the winning field goal in the 2015 NRL Grand Final against the Brisbane Broncos, no cheering allowed, That goal and that victory was credited to the entire team and to the entire supporter base. JT kicked the goal, but those who were on the bench got credited with the victory. The support staff credited with the victory. The fans were at the stadium, the fans who were at home, everybody participated in the triumph of Jonathan Thurston. And this is kind of what it means that we are united to Christ, that we are in Christ. It means that through faith in him, we participate in his triumph and in all that he has won for us. It means that we are so united to Jesus that whatever is true of Jesus is also true of us. And this is why the Bible can say some really profound things, some really strange things to our ears. The Bible can say that we have been crucified with Christ. The Bible says that we died with him, that we were buried with him. That we've been raised with him. The Bible even says that we have been seated with him in the heavenly places. We have been so united to Jesus that what is true of him is true of us. Think about this analogy that I uh, steal from Rory Shiner in his book, One Forever. Imagine that you're at the airport and you're about to board a plane. And the plane is on its way to beautiful Brisbane. Now, if you want to get where you need to go, if you want to get to Brisbane, what relationship do you need to have with that plane? Would it help for you to follow the plane? No, you you know the plane's going to Brisbane, so you think if you can just look at the direction that it goes and then run as fast as your little legs will carry you, you should eventually get to Brisbane. Would it help for you to be inspired by the plane? You go to the airport, you watch the plane take off and you whisper to yourself, oh, someday, someday I could do that too. Would it help you to be under the plane, to be submitted to the plane's authority? How are you going to get to where you need to go? You need to be in the plane. Because it's only by being in the plane that what happens to the plane will also happen to you. And the question, did you safely arrive in Brisbane? It will be answered by the bigger question, well, did the plane safely arrive in Brisbane? And you see, this is kind of what it means to become a Christian. It means to get on the plane. It means to put your faith in Christ and you don't just commit to try and obey him and imitate him and be inspired by him, though that's all part of it. But you actually become so intimately united to Jesus that what's true of him is also true of you. And this means so many wonderful things. So many wonderful things. This is why the Apostle Paul said earlier in Ephesians 1, 
that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing we receive by virtue of our union with Christ. But let me just share one thing it means for us as it relates to our salvation. See, if you're in Christ, it means that you have been saved from the judgment of God. See, the Bible tells us that like a fire coming through a forest, that God's judgment will come upon sin and evil that has ravaged his world and his people. But the Bible also says that if you are in Christ, you will be rescued from the fire of God's judgment. Think about it this way. If you're in the bush, in Australia we have plenty of that, and a bushfire is coming your way, one survival technique, as weird as it sounds, is to actually start another fire. I mean, it sounds weird because fire's the problem. Why would you start another fire? But the logic is simple. You see, if you burn out a, a patch of bush, then when the bushfire comes, it cannot burn what has already been burned. And if you are already in that burned patch of bush, then the coming fire will not harm you. And you see, Christ's death on the cross is kind of like that when it comes to the coming judgment of God. See, Psalm 2 says about the Messiah, blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, the one place in the world where the wrath of God has already been spent was on the cross. And what this means is to stand in Christ, to be in Christ, to have your faith in Christ, is to stand in a place where the wrath of God will never be felt, because it's already been there, poured out upon Jesus upon the cross. To be in Christ means to be safe in him, hidden in him. It means that he covers your shame, covers your weakness, covers your guilt. You are in Christ. But what about the second part of the definition? Christ is in you. What does that mean? Well, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said to his disciples before he returned to heaven. And he said to them, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. For you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, look at that little phrase there, another helper. Now, who had been the disciples' constant helper already? Jesus, of course. Who is the another helper, the additional helper that Jesus is referring to? The Holy Spirit. See, Jesus promised that when he went away, the Holy Spirit would come. And in fact, Jesus said that the Spirit would come in such a way, listen to what he says, that it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Jesus says it's actually better that he goes away. Why? So that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell within us. See, the only thing better than having Jesus with you and beside you is to have Jesus within you, wherever you are and wherever you go. And that is exactly what we have when we become a Christian, when we become united to Christ by faith. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, I know that whether you're a Christian or not, this sounds a little bit strange to our ears and sometimes a little bit difficult to wrap our minds around. And if you're feeling that way, you're not alone. The Apostle Paul once wrote to the church in Corinth and he said to them at the end of the letter, he said, do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? They obviously needed reminding and the truth is we need reminding of this truth as well. See, sometimes we can be a little bit like Hiro Anoda. We hear this truth, we know this truth, but we don't really believe it. We don't really live in light of it. We don't ever walk through our day knowing that Christ is with us, Christ is in us. But friends, it's gloriously true. When we receive Christ by faith, 
his power, his life enter into our lives? Do you realise the resources that you carry around with you? Do you realise that you are never alone in what you are facing? Do you realise the power that is at work in your life? I mean, if you're a Christian, are you aware of Christ's presence in your day-to-day life? When you're at work, when it's 2am and you're feeding the baby, when you're parenting toddlers, when you're socialising, do you realise that you are in Christ and Christ is in you? If you're not a Christian, do you see that Christianity is more than just moralism? It's the living God embracing us totally and completely. It's the very life of God flowing through us. This is the stunning reality of union with Christ. It means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Now what does this mean for us? How does this change our lives? In many ways, that's what the rest of this series will be about. But let me just mention in closing two quick ways in which union with Christ changes and transforms our day-to-day life. The first is this. Union with Christ gives you deep assurance about your relationship to God. When we understand union with Christ, we understand the Christian life is not a struggle to try and earn acceptance from God. We understand that we have already been accepted in Christ. We've already been brought in, embraced by God. And what ultimately matters is not the the strength or the weakness of our faith, but the strength of the one in whom we place our faith. Think about the plane analogy with me again. Imagine now that there's not just one person heading to Brisbane, but there's two. And the first is a businesswoman. She flies from Sydney to Brisbane every month for board meetings. And so she always gets to the airport with 20 minutes to spare. She goes straight to the lounge for coffee and to grab a copy of the financial review. When she's on the plane, she doesn't even look up from her paper as the hostess goes through the safety instructions. She's heard it so many times, she knows it off by heart. But there's another person, an old man. And he's getting onto the plane for the very first time in his life. His family have kind of got together enough money to fulfil his dream, to go to a state of origin match at Suncorp Stadium. He's at the airport, two hours early. He's looking at the plane from the viewing deck and he's just marvelling at the fact that this massive machine could, could take off into the skies. When he's boarded, he not only listens to every single word that the hostess says, but he takes notes. And as the plane takes off, his heart pounds, his hands get clammy, and throughout the whole trip, he's filled with fear and wonder. And, and multiple times during the trip, he buzzes the hostess to say, are you sure that everything's okay? Now let me ask you two important questions. Number one, who has more faith? The woman. She's a model of confident trust in the plane and in the pilots. The old man is wracked with doubts. Who makes it to Brisbane? Both of them. Because the strong faith or the doubting, wrestling faith of the woman, it has very little to do with it, but it has everything to do with the strength of the plane that carries them. Now, you have to have enough faith to get on the plane. You've got to put your faith and your trust in Jesus your entire life. But then we know and we remember that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We're safe and secure in his hands. 
The second way union with Christ can change our lives, number one, is it gives us deep assurance about our relationship to God. Number two, it gives us deep optimism about our ability to change. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you have been confronted with your weakness. Your inability to to change and to grow and to overcome these things. You've thought at some point in your life, man, I mustn't be a Christian if I keep doing this. If I keep falling into this same rut. But when you understand union with Christ, when you understand that you are in Christ, when your enemy accuses you, when your heart tells you that God wants nothing to do with you, you need to run away from him, clean yourself up, and then you can come back to him. When you get that accusation, you remind yourself, I am in Christ. The work of Christ has paid the penalty for my sin. The penalty of my sin has been paid for. My judgment has been absorbed. And you know that you don't have to run from God, but through repentance and faith you can turn to God. But you also remember that Christ is in you and that you're not on your own. God has given you everything you need. The obedient, powerful, merciful Jesus dwells within you. And in the moment of trial, in the moment of temptation, you remind yourself, Christ is in me. And Christ in you is greater than anything that threatens you or tempts you. You draw on Christ's strength in you. You remind yourself that the work of Christ has set me free from the penalty of sin and the person of Christ is setting me free from the power of sin. Union with Christ can change our entire lives if we truly come to understand it, cherish it and believe it. And so let me close with these words from pastor and author Ray Ortland, who sums it up so beautifully, so powerfully. He says, if you love Jesus... You are not a practitioner of the Christian religion. You are not imitating the historic Jesus way back when. If you love Jesus, you are one with him right now. God has so removed every barrier. God has so drawn you in that he has welded you forever to the risen Christ. There is a reason why you love Jesus. There is a reason why you pray. There is a reason why you want to live for the Lord. The reason is Christ lives in you. He has written your little story into his big story so that you have been crucified, you have been raised again, you have been seated at the right hand of the Father, you have been swept up into a story that grand, union with Christ. And because the wrath of God's law fell on Jesus at the cross, you're dead to the law too. The law cannot condemn you before God, nor can it improve you before God. In Christ, you could not be more included and welcomed and safe. So in living your life down here in this world, the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You're not pinning your future on your own capacities. Moment by moment, you're looking to him who loved you and gave himself for you. Friends, this is gloriously true. The question is, will you believe it and will you live in light of it? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we rejoice and we thank you that you sent Jesus to us. And that's so that through faith in him, we are so intimately united to him. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. And Lord, that changes everything. Help us to know this. Help us to believe it. Help us to live 
in light of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week we continue the series by looking at how union with Christ gives us a new identity. I'll be in Melbourne for Synod, which is a national gathering of all our churches within our denomination. But Nathaniel will be leading us through that sermon next week and then I'll be back the week after to take us through the rest of that series. So we'd love to see you next week and let's stand now as we sing and worship our awesome God. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Here's my life, my chance, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, found in the streets of